It's May 31st, 2012. On this edition of the Mego Museum podcast, Brian and Scott are packing for Mego Meet. But before we leave town, we'll talk with Sean Sampson, a professional motion picture effects artist who also does sculpting for toy companies, including Remigo Heads for MC Toys and Biff Bang Pow. It's an exciting edition of the Mego Museum podcast, starting right now. It's the Mego Museum podcast. Scott and Brian each sold separately. You can pull them, you can bend them, even have a tug of war. Hey, Mego Heads, welcome to the Mego Museum podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm Scott. And we're both busy right now packing for Mego Meet. Now, Scott, you're not attending, but tell us what you're doing. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, sadly, I'm not, I'm not attending, but I think I mentioned before I'm putting together some of the Brick Mantooth Bachelor Pad play sets and, uh, and then a s- big old stack of those um, Super Collector uh, vinyl backing displays um, to send out to Migomi, and you are going to sell them to the Grateful Masses for me, and, uh, which I'm so grateful for. And uh, whatever you don't sell, you get to drag back to Canada. Actually, I get to drag to Steve uh, Moore's house. Oh, cool. Yeah. I can't cross the border with all that stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> coincidentally. Arrested uh, at customs uh, with, with <laughs> contraband Migo. It's not so much arrested at customs as it is confused look at customs. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. I, I came back and I had spent all night in Chicago at, at Mark Huckabone's house. And I got to the airport really late. And I had to run through the airport um, with my shoes off because I was going to miss my flight. And when I finally got oh, to... O.J. Simpson of you. O.J. Yeah. No, <laughs> far, far less athletic and, and less murdery. Um, <laughs> stabby. When, yeah, stabby. <laughs> when I got to uh, Buffalo Airport, I just kind of... I must have looked drugged out. But when I hit the, the border, <laughs> the, you know, I was like, oh, I got some toys. I just visited some friends. You know, and they pulled me over. And they went through everything. And what I had in the box, and I, I had, because I went on the flight first, I had a 12-inch Batman in the purple box, which is like a grail piece for me. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I had put, you know, packing tape and, and bubbles and, you know, or what was it, pea, packing peanuts in there. And and I, I was tr- like watching the guy opening my car and he goes, step on the curb. He got real ugly with me. And it was kind of windy that day and I could see packing peanuts hit the air so clearly he thought he had something good yeah something good he got this guy and he he comes out with this like he comes walking up to me with this terribly disappointed look on his face (laughs) and he goes are you a doll collector and i go yeah and he just goes go just go (laughs) <laughs> it was, you know, it was that sort of like, gee, dad, I want to be a ballet dancer, you know, <laughs> sort of look to his face. And I'll never forget that. You're not a drug dealer. You're a doll man collector. Yeah. So that's, that's my big, uh, my big border crossing fear story. Okay. All right. Well, um, so, so you're not, I guess you would have to pay uh, import duty on anything you take across the it causes a little confusion. I usually, what I do is I try to bring things to Mego Meat that I think I can sell and not take back with me. Right. So, I, I, you know, my table always looks pretty crappy by the end of the day because I don't really have anything. Um, this year, having said that, and to go along with the Mantooth playsets and the Super Collector backdrops, I will have brick mantooths and super collectors at the show in the in their display box i am really looking forward to uh being able to actually sell them at a show where people know who they are um i don't have a big quantity of them and i hope i have them all complete because i had to get those shipped yesterday to make sure they hit the states by the time i got there and when i went to open up the back of my car in the parking lot at my office they all poured out. Oh, no. So there were boots and heads and suits and little doll clothes all over the parking lot of my work at lunchtime. Oh, man. And um, I, no one saw me. The perfect crime. But, I, I you know, I, I'm still kind of worried that I'm going to walk to my car one night and see, like, Brick Mantooth's head in a, in, a, 
in a gutter somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Uh, as we've mentioned a few times, Mego Meet is next week, uh, June. Is it ninth to tenth, or yes. is eighth eighth to ninth? I'm sorry. Um, at the Kruger Street Toy and Train Museum in Wheeling, West Virginia, and uh, information for it is on MegoMeet.org. And we got a really nice plug uh, this week from uh, Jason Lindsay and uh, Daniel Pickett's podcast, uh, Geek Shell Inherit. I don't know if you heard that, Scott. No, I, I, I heard about it. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but that's that's really cool. They are very, very nice to the Mego people. They are. And, and they make uh, toys for us and everything. Yes, they do. <laughs> and um, it, we've been looking at, if you, if you go to the Mego Museum community, the forums, you can see that we are doing, as we do every year, a custom auction at Mego Meet, which is hosted this year by the Big Toy Auction. Have you heard of these guys? Yeah. Now, they were on board last year, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. That was their first year, and they did a wonderful job. And there's just something so legitimate about having a auctioneer on site. Yeah. Feels a little storage warsy, you know. Um, and they did a great job, and I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, this year, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be gunning for the 12 inch Aquaman in the box, made by Brian Leitner. Oh, that is a nice one. Yeah. 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 He does these one offs that look just like Migo did them. Last year, I got the Green Lantern, and I got that mostly out of resent for missing the Flash from the year before. So, uh, but Aquaman is definitely one of my favorite heroes. So that's the one I'm going to probably go for. I'm also uh, eyeing terribly the uh, Boo Berry, Frankenberry, and Count Chocula that Derek cooked up. Oh, those are great! So awesome and so fun. So it, it's going to be look. It's shaping up to be a great show. Uh, I will also be having. Um, from Heroes in Action, a table full of presidential monsters. I know a lot of people on the museum can't seem to find them. Migo Meat will be a great place to get them. And like I've mentioned before, I don't want to take anything home. So, Right. You know, it might be a crazy Brian situation. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm looking at the at the customs uh, auction right now. That's, you know, it's I, I, I've said it before on the on the podcast, but, you know, the it's the best Migo show in the world mm. like like you could not go anywhere else in the world and see that many Mego toys for sale in one place I'm pretty confident you know I agree with you and also it's a pretty good vintage toy show as well oh yeah because we're all dabblers oh absolutely you know? and um, I've I've come home with like 12 inch Indiana Jones in the box it's amazing what I I never go to Mego meet with an agenda um, but I, I always end up with something I didn't know I wanted. <laughs> Other than revenge. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Vendetta. Uh, I, like, I've come home with Super Joes, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. I, you know, uh, Lincoln Monsters. Last year I bought two apes in the window boxes. I didn't even know I was getting into those, but here I am. Oh, my God. So Steve is doing the uh, – Steve did a super collector van. He did, and I can't. And, I didn't mention that. Yeah, no, I, I got to. I mean, I, I did all the graphics for it, so that's the first time I've actually seen the photographs of it. He forgot to send these to me. That looks awesome. It does. It looks <laughs> it's so stupid. I love it. I'm gonna have to. I might have to bid on that from 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 beyond the grave here. That's so yeah. Cool. <laughs> it seems weird to bid on something of your own character, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. But come on, it's the only one in the world. It is. It's really cool. I, um, I, I've i been playing tonight uh, thanks to my good friends at Castaway um, who have helped me out with some weird uh, prototype figures I'm doing for this thing, this Project Mantooth thing, which I might rename. Um, and I don't know why. I, man, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's, but I've got a couple of prototypes I cannot wait to show at uh, at Mego Meet, and my buddy Sean, Sean Sanson, who sculpted uh, Brick Mantooth, uh, has been helping me out with this and, and done a spectacular job. So I'm really excited about some of the stuff we've cooked up. It's, it's goofy, it's fun, but it's also um, kind of embraces the spirit of the Mego community. A lot of people had their hands in this, and I'm, I'm excited to show this stuff. Yeah, I've. I've been able to see a few sneak peeks, not not everything, but it's definitely uh, it's it's a really cool project. And there's like so many great like 
inside jokes mm-hmm. of that only people who spend way too much time thinking about vintage action figure toys would even know. I mean, you're going to get a lot of blank looks from the rest of the world and some of this stuff, but, uh, um, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I, I would say that with pride. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I've made a lot of these figures and things going, well, there's going to be at least 10 people who want them. So that's it. A lot of this stuff will be 10 and 12 type situations, um, one and done and move on. A lot like what Steve did with the Manmates fashions. Right. You know, just yeah, trying yeah. to have fun with this and, and uh, see how far we can go. Right, right. Well, we've got a big mountain of brick man tooth dolls, so whatever you can Absolutely. figure out to do with them. Yes. Well, I might throw good taste to the window for a while. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, speaking of Sean Sansom, it's a bit of a surprise for this one. We have him on the line for an interview. Um, this is uh, – Someone that uh, you may not know his name, but he you may own some of his products. Um, Sean has been instrumental in helping out companies like Biff Bang Pow, MC, McFarland Toys, um, Heroes in Action, and, of course, Odeon. Um, and uh, he's, he's a toy sculptor. He's also a friend of mine. So we're going to get him on the phone right now. Yeah, we're sitting here with Sean Sansom from... Uh, well, better known as a toy sculptor of the Brick Man Tooth doll, as well as several other figures. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Now, you're, besides being a special effects artist, you've be, done a side career of sculpting toys. Uh, what, was mm-hmm. the, what was the first toy you sculpted? That would probably be the Shaft action figure for McFarlane Toys. Right, that was the Samuel L. Jackson figure. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, they had offered a few other figures at the beginning, but they kind of fell by the wayside for contractual reasons. And that came up kind of as a last minute thing to do for the toy fair that year. Right. The year that the movie came out, which I think it was year 2000, maybe. Yeah, it was a while ago. Now, that that might have actually been the world's first Samuel L. Jackson action figure. (laughs) I guess. Not the last. really make a figure couldn't make a figure of him from any other film i guess at that point yeah that's true it was amos and andrew that wouldn't be a popular one um uh, from pulp fiction so you continued through mcfarland for a few years uh sculpting some pretty memorable stuff as i recall um and you have a funny anecdote about jason x <laughs> yeah that was originally what they called me for was to do an 18 inch tall jason Voorhees figure and that was just as I was starting prep on Jason X, which was Friday the 13th, part 10. Right. So I, I suggested that they hold off for a while because he's, you know, there's another film in the works and that he looks totally different while there's two versions of him. So that's when they switched over to the shaft figure instead. Right. And then I sculpted that Jason X figure, the robotic version, I guess it was about a year later when the film, just before the film was released. Right. But di- didn't they ask you about Jason X, and didn't you say something to the point like you're standing next to him at that point? Wasn't that? Yeah, they were asking me about, uh, well, well it, was, it was more so about the design right. on, Kane, on Kane Hodder. And I said, well, it's, I'm actually, yeah, I'm standing right beside the suit right now, and it looks nothing like how he's ever looked before. Right. So, And, and then moving on, what was your first, uh, you and I did some little custom Mego heads, um, in mm-hmm. the early 2000s. But then moving on, what was your first um, factory-produced Mego head that you did? Uh, that would probably be the Dracula figure for MC Toys. Oh, really? But that was actually this, the, the, the last produced. Oh, was it? Yeah. That was that was the first one I sculpted. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah, that and that was back. That was not long ago. It was 2009. I guess the fall of 2009, because it was being shown off at the Toy Fair in uh, 2010. Right, and and of course you did the uh, the Glenn Strange Frankenstein as well. I did that one right after because they already had the Wolfman sculpted. Right, that was done by John Farley, I believe. And then going and then, for what's that? Oh, and then right after Toy Fair is when um, I sculpted the mummy. Right. And then, of course, you've now done the bride and the creature. So the line has actually 
retained a, a pretty similar look to all of your um, to, to, because of all your scopes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what is your process in in doing a a, a a a character, say like the creature from the Black Lagoon? How do you how do you study it? Well, the creature was a lot easier than any of the the, the human characters, so it wasn't really restricted on whose likeness I could use mm-hmm. or a likeness in general. Like the Dracula, you know, you couldn't use Bela Lugosi's face because Universal has their own look for Dracula. Right. He's got the pointy ears, he's got the fangs, which is not at all like the Universal Dracula film. Mm-hmm. Um, so the creature was just more so following the actual look of the creature as, well, you know, as closely as possible, seeing that everybody's a fan of the, whoever is a fan of the movie will most likely want to see an accurate representation of that character. Right. So do you take stills, or are you given stills? Or? Uh, they gave me a few stills. Right. Uh, a lot of a lot of stills that weren't really published or used that much, but I did use, you know, your typical glory shots that they use, you know, the creature with his hands up, mm-hmm. like he's like he's waving, and, you know, the ones, the, the visual publicity shots of him holding uh, Julie Adams. Julie Adams, yeah. He was a little bit more difficult because there was more parts to sculpt on him. There was the feet, the hands, the fins. It wasn't just the head. On average, what does a sculpt like that take you? Uh, I would say I'd like to have it done within the week mm-hmm. if I could. Uh, obviously, if I'm working on a film at the time, I can only get to it a few hours here and there during the week, and I'll try to do it on the weekends. Right. But generally, it's I, I can usually block it out in a day or two, and then it's just refining the details. Right. So a few more days, and then, you know, molding, casting. But I guess the turnaround is like a week and a half. And, and how much larger do you have to make Amigo Head for factory representation? It, at this point, it depends on the factory. There's... Certain factories, of course, you know, some companies will change factories during the course of the run of the figure that they're doing mm-hmm. or their line. Um, generally, for vinyl, because it's vinyl, it shrinks anywhere from 5 to 8%. So it has to be sculpted that much larger. Okay. So that when the molds are made and the vinyl's put in the mold, when the vinyl shrinks, it's back to the size that they're looking for. Right. So when when people see Toy Fair protos with large heads, they should not worry about it at all. No, no, that's that's exactly why they are large. Is because they're probably seeing a, a resin copy or a, a plastic copy of the original sculpt, and it hasn't hasn't been um, hasn't lost a generation yet. Right. Is like that, it hasn't lost. Is, ex- go ahead. Oh, excuse me, Sean. Is that a? Um... So that's a challenge that's particular to to working with something that's going to be cast in vinyl as opposed to uh, plastic. Right, because with with resin you can just sculpt it to whatever size you want, and it's going to look exactly the same as how you've sculpted it. Whereas with vinyl, unless they're doing it solid cast, which usually I know McFarland did it solid, uh, solid injection. Mm-hmm. It kind of shrinks evenly all over, but when you're doing it hollow cast, like a like amigo head, it shrinks differently. Hmm. So sometimes you get the heads that look too thin because the shrinkage will occur on the sides of the head where it's flattest and not where there's a lot of form. So God. like the back of the head, the face, because there's a lot of uh, curves, compound curves happening, that doesn't shrink. It doesn't distort as much whereas the side of the head is usually quite flat, and the only thing that's there is the ear. Mm-hmm. And you get that pinched kind of appearance in the head. So that's something that you as a sculptor try to compensate for, or is, that, is there also, um, uh, are there also things that they're doing on the factory end to, to, to make that work out? Or how, how much do you feel you have to worry about that other than just the size? Not... I, not really lately it's been a problem because it's I think the factories are really they're getting down the the process 
Yeah, I mean, it's always been there, but I think they've they've worked out the bugs even more to the point where you don't even have to really worry about the shrinkage as much anymore. You don't have to sculpt it as large as you used to have to. Certain factories can do it almost one-to-one. You know, the shrinkage is only, like, anywhere from 2 to 5%. So... Out of, out of these, this is a sideline for you, and obviously you get to pick some that are fun more than anything else. What's been your favorite to do? Hmm. Well, I'd say the Universal Monsters have been a lot of fun. Right. Just because I'm a fan of those films. and uh, But more, I think, I'd say either the creature or the mummy. I'm a big Boris Karloff fan, and when I found out that it was the Boris Karloff version and not the Lon Chaney version, because that's kind of the iconic image of the mummy is the, the Boris Karloff. Right. That was That's my personal favorite, I think. Yeah, i got to admit, as much as I uh, wanted an Imhotep figure, because um, I'm just a fan of those movies, I, I really loved the look. The, the the look of the Karloff that I was kind of like smitten with it by the time I got it. So mm. it's, it's, it's really nice. I, I love the fact that they do the hands a little differently right. on those. I think, I think that monsters and custom hands are kind of an important thing. You know, almost every company fiddled, didn't just give them straight regular hands. You know, Mego did glow in the dark. Lincoln did big claws. AHI right. would put blood all over them or, do all that kind of stuff so <laughs> it's a nice throwback to sculpt hands like that yeah and also put them kind of in a pose that that works with the character yeah and not just the straight you know kind of open grip hand now what would what do you what was the most challenging sculpt you had to do um in in this kind of mego type scale where you just you weren't uh you, it, it didn't flow as easily as others. Hmm. Probably the hardest, I'd say the hardest ones to sculpt are any of the female characters that have rooted hair. Right. Uh, because you can't see, you don't see the whole picture yeah, when you're you. doing it. Mm-hmm. And because they're also sculpted differently, they don't have the neck included in the sculpt because the neck is actually on the body. Right. So you're just working with this thing that looks like an almond. And they all look like Aaliyah from the first Star Trek movie, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's right. For for those listening, you, you, you sculpted the uh, the nurse chapel. And yeah. did you sculpt the uh, Vena? I can't remember anymore. No, I just did uh, nurse chapel and then uh, Karen Cooper from right. the Night of the Living Dead series and the um, Judy. Or Judith O'Day was the, the actress, um, uh, Barbara character. Barbara, okay, yeah. Yeah, so how did you compensate for the bald heads, or did you just kind of, like, try to envision the hair? Well, what I'll do is I'll, because the heads are sculpted in wax, I'll just use, a, a like, a plastilina clay, like an oil-based clay, and just kind of block the hair out on the head. Right. To see what it's, kind of see what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then with the bride was different because that was sculpted, the hair was sculpted on the head, so that was a lot easier. Yeah, I don't know how they would pull that off with Barbie hair. Yeah, it'd be pretty difficult, especially getting the white strip in the right spot Mm -hmm. and getting that wave to it as well. Yeah, yeah. I I know there's, and you wouldn't probably read the boards for this, but there's actually debate versus rooted hair versus molded hair. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of the guys, and, and I think that's the one, I think the bride will be the one where nobody complains. I think it, the hair has to have a specific style, and yeah. it's a style, like you said, that can't be really be done with the, the rooted hair, then I think it should be sculpted, because if you just go with rooted hair for the sake of it being like a doll head, you're kind of losing the look of the character in the process. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, if 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 a character has straight black long hair, do root yeah. hair. But if it's like there, there's a dark shadows uh, um, and uh, I think it's Angelique figure, and she's got her hair kind of like um, it, it's very stylized, 
And there's right. it'd be really hard to pull that off. And I, I they went with molded hair. Spectre Toys did, and, and I I thought that was a great a great plan for that character. Oh, because she has like the little ringlets and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it'd be really difficult. I think for at least to stay that way too. Yeah, exactly. What, what it's been done in the factory with the shipping and the assembly and everything else, who knows what it's going to look like by the time it's in the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you actually did some Star Wars products in the 90s as well. Uh, yes, for uh, D-Boy. Or, yeah, Polydata. Yeah, D- I think it started as Polydata, and then it went to D-Boy later. It, Sorry, I'm outside. No worries. It's, 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 either way, it was Eric, Eric's company. Um, you, you painted was it model kits that were pre-painted. So they were basically large action figures you put together, essentially. Yeah, because he was trying to get away from the garage kit market where every model kit you bought, even though it was in pieces, it was unpainted, and most people... For the general masses, anyway, they don't take the time to paint it or aren't really inclined to painting it. So he thought it would be a good idea to have it pretty painted in the factory, like you said, like an action figure. And then you just kind of glue it together, which takes, you know, all of 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah, you did You did the sand person. Did you do Luke? No, that was uh, by William Paquette. Right, right. I just remember Luke was the first. And then you did the sand person and Lando, right? Yeah, it was the the first series. The first wave was Luke, Leia, and Ben Kenobi. Luke and Leia were done by William Paquette, and uh, Ben Kenobi was done by Sean Nagel. Right. And then there was the Sand Person, the um, Lando Calrissian, and I believe Chewbacca. Yeah, I can't remember anymore. I can't remember either. Those are those are in storage somewhere now. I think. There were, yeah, there were more sculpted, but they were never produced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a Gamorrean guard. Um, I did a Han Solo and a General Tarkin, and those, I think there was another. Those had to be a lot of fun to do, especially at the time when there wasn't a lot of Star Wars merchandise out there. Well, this was before the re-release of the. The films, the, that's right. The updated versions, because they came out in 90... This was done in 95, 96. Yeah, that's right. So this would have been before the re-release of the... The, the films, yeah. The the, the uh, tampered versions. <laughs> 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 the updated graphics and all that stuff. Yes, and the controversial shooting firsts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, what what was what's been your favorite model project you've done? And you've done a ton of cool models over the years, be it the garage kits or or, um, or factory release kits. What's been your favorite project to work on? Hmm, I probably have to say well, there's a couple. I like the Kolchak, the Night Stalker. That was a lot of fun. That's right. Just because of all of his props that he had, I had a. Uh, crucifix in his hand. And he had his tape recorder and his camera and all that. That was done, in an alley. That was done for dimensional designs, right? Yes. Yeah, he was sculpted with a little diorama. He was in a uh, an alleyway, and then uh, Danny made a uh, a newspaper, which was the actual like a reproduction of the Chicago Tribune from the show. Oh, awesome! With his photo on it that you could laminate onto the base, and that was kind of the the nameplate. That's cool. Now, you you get to you get the luxury of kind of picking and choosing what you like to do, and it seems like you like to pick some of the neater pop culture items or things that interest you. What's the one thing that you drop everything to sculpt figures of? <laughs> uh, well, it's more so whatever. I guess it's more of whatever projects that you know I'm a fan of myself. Right. Like doing that the the Patrick McGowan head for the prisoner, that was you know, that was great. I love doing that. Yeah. That um, that was a little limited figure you and I put together. Yeah, <laughs> it's a long time ago. Sneak thinks there's a prisoner doll coming out. We don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of strange that I usually get asked to sculpt stuff that I'm interested in anyway. Right. It's not so much that 
you know, it's not, it's not evident that people know what I like, but I usually get called. I, I do like sculpting things that are a challenge, like anything with a likeness of an actor or a character, for example. And I just, I've been, I keep getting called for the same similar projects. So I was going to ask, Brian, didn't, did Sean do the greatest American hero sculpt? No, that was done by Scott Fensterer. Okay. All oh, right, well. no, sorry, sorry. Sean and I did a Greatest American Hero, a resin one, back yeah. in about 2000. But the one that was put out by um, that, on that one weekend license was not sculpted by Sean. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, right. yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. Yeah, that was just a little, yeah, a little uh, side project. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's probably where I got confused. And so, um, how's it been working with uh, with Biff Bang Pow lately? Uh, yeah, they contacted me to do um, the William Shatner figure from Twilight Zone for the two episodes that he was in. And I'm, that was... I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's it, it's a great it's a it, it's a great figure. I really love it. Well, thank you. That was see, that was a big challenge because I know a lot of people regard the Captain Kirk figure that Nigo put out as having the best likeness, mm-hmm. and that was also William Shatner. So to do, you know, with that kind of pressure, as <laughs> can you do a better job than what, or can you do a similar job to what you know everybody considers the best likeness Nigo did? I don't know if that's true or not, but I've been told that by many people that that is regarded as one of the better likenesses is the Captain Kirk. It's a very iconic toy. Yeah, yeah that, that's probably more what it is. It's just a bigger release, and but I mean, it does it does really do the job. You know exactly who it is, right? So you know, I, I think there's a lot like, and and you can you can tell me, but in nailing a likeness, a lot of it is also getting some sort of facial facial thing that the person has to get the personality across, right? You, yeah, you almost have to approach it as if it's a caricature. Right. You, you look at their face and find what feature stands out the most that makes them look the way they do, mm-hmm. and then emphasize that first. Yeah, and the Shatner doll, to its credit, has that wonderful smirk. Which right. I think really nails William Shatner. Yeah, I would. I would say. Oh. That, I would actually. I would say the Mego head is a great Captain Kirk head, and the the Twilight Zone one is a great William Shatner head. Well, that yeah, and and that's what I love about those the Biff Bang Pow ones you did, Sean, was that of course you've got um, you've also got kind of like a juxtaposition of those two characters because the one guy is terrified, and the other guy's well, I guess he was terrified too, wasn't he? <laughs> I'll stop talking. Is it? Now. Is it? Is it? Were, were you a, a fan of of Mego toys when you were growing up, Sean? I had a few of them. I didn't have a lot, but I did like the superhero line. I I didn't have any of the. I wouldn't say I didn't have any of the Star Trek or Planet of the Apes. I did get the. Um, uh, was it? Did they do Buck Rogers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had the Buck Rogers figures and some of the other, you know, more. I guess in the later years, uh-huh. but none of, but none of the '60s, you know, when they first came out with the with the uh, superheroes. I, the only one I had, I think, was Spider Man. Yeah, he's pretty. Yeah, that's is it, probably. Is is it especially challenging when you're when you're? I, I would think uh, when you're doing a likeness on on a figure like this that has to be. You know, Brian said, you know, the character looks terrified, but they're still kind of, they have to be fairly, like, almost neutral in, as opposed to, yeah. like, like, a more statuesque action figure that can really, you know, have, like, an angry look or, you know, an open screaming mouth or something interesting like that. I, I would think there's a bit of a challenge there to capture the, the, the likeness and stay with that kind of doll-like neutrality. Yeah, because, like, with the, with the McFarlane toys, it was... They were basically little mini statues. So you were whatever face you gave them. That's it had to suit the pose that they were in, and that pose never really could change because they just, you know, 
you couldn't really do much with them after they were out of that pose. But with, of course, with the Mego dolls, they're fully posable, which is what I always liked about them as a kid. They were more posable than, say, the, you know, the Kenner Star Wars, which were just, like, oversized Lego guys. Right. Um, yeah, you kind of have to go with a face that will work more than just, you can't have a fixed expression unless it's an expression that that character makes all the time. Yeah, Ken Scheller once said to me that he looked, he viewed Mego head sculpting as Russian portraits, um, <laughs> where everybody kind of has this just stoic expression on their face. <laughs> right. And when you look at anything he did, you can tell that he he meant it. Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like the Hulk, you know, he's got the, the grimace. He's clenching his teeth and everything, because that's, that's his character. Right, of you course. Wouldn't, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have a head of him smiling or, you know, some sort of neutral pose. He's just supposed to be always angry. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would go with any of the other characters, any of the other likenesses for the figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if again, that goes down to if that's what they're always doing, then that's the best, that's the best representation of the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you look at those, like, like the Happy Days figures. Mm-hmm. With the Fonz, he's got that. He's got that look, like you know, I'm the Fonz. I'm cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the face he's supposed to have because that's that's his character. Yeah, yeah. And the other guys look like, hey, I don't sell. <laughs> Potsy is a very underrated figure. Come on, that's right. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm curious, what's your what's your background? How did you how, how did you get into that? Were you did you go to art school? Are you self-taught, or did you apprentice with someone? Self, self-taught. Wow. I started. It started with making. I got into the makeup effects kind of thing when I was young, like eleven or twelve. And I started making masks, and I sold them by the time I was about fifteen. Yeah, that's how Shannon and, and I met. Actually, is that he was bringing really well done homemade rubber masks to uh, toy and comic shows. And you, what, you were doing Jason and um, Worf. I Jason. I did a Worf because there was a Star Trek convention and uh, Michael Dorn was going to be there. That's right. And uh, it was the first show that he had done, the first convention. So the mask went there so I could get it signed. That's right. I remember that now. Yeah. And it was, it was still in the middle of, I don't know what season they were in, the next generation. I never really watched the show. I was never... You know, I like the original series, but after that, I, that was about it. But, um, and then the, that kind of also led into sculpting the model kits because I collected model kits as a kid, like, you know, planes and tanks and everything. And, you know, movie characters were never really done other than the Aurora, uh, Frankenstein and the usual monsters that Monogram re released over and over again and Rebel. And, that was that about whole, the time of the garage kit boom. Yeah, that's when all that came out was the the garage kit craze, which would have been the late eighties, early nineties. I yeah. I started sculpting those probably ninety one, ninety two, so I would have been yeah, sixteen, seventeen. And uh I met up with I got in contact with um Danny Sirocco at Dimensional Designs in San Francisco, and he sold independently produced sculptures. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started with him. He he took a couple of my figures. I was hoping to sell them through him, and he said, no, I'll just buy the sculpture off you, and I'll sell them myself. And then he ended up hiring me to sculpt the actual figures for him instead of me having to go through the process of manufacturing them. Did you meet him at Chiller Theater? Uh, no, I actually, um, I met him at Chiller's Theater for the first time, like yeah. in person, but I, I, I got his address from, I think it was an issue of, uh, what was it called? Mo- Model Toy Collector? Model Toy Collector, yeah. That's right, yeah, Bill Bruce. Because he used to put, he used to put ads in there, and it's, and he, he was advertised as, you know, buy, sell, and trade independently produced kits. So I had no idea he was going to like the, the figure that I sent him, which was a, a figure uh, as a killer from space. 
Oh, I forgot about that. Guys with ping pong ball eyes and, you know, black jumpsuits. Terrible 50s alien invasion films. It's starring Peter Graves, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how that started. And, of course, because of the garage kit market was a huge, huge thing. There's all these really talented sculptors were coming out of the woodwork. And the toy company started to take notice. And that's how, you know, Kenner and Hasbro and all the other toy companies, and of course McFarland's came up the ranks as well in the late, you know, mid nineties, I guess, with the Spawn figures. They started snagging a lot of the uh, the garage kit sculptors. What wasn't Sideshow a garage kit company called Barker Brothers at one time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they did uh, freaks models. They did, a, they did some freaks models, and they did. They started doing like the. They did a, a model of the Jersey Devil. They were going to do all these, you know, urban legend creatures. And then it went into, they did a Bernie Wrights and Frankenstein. That's when they changed their name to Sideshow. That's right. From 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 out of the garage and legitimate. Yeah. And that was the thing because the, the market got so large and all these shows, like the Chiller Theater Show, that representatives from the big film company started showing up like 20th Century Fox and Universal and were slapping people with cease and desist orders because they were mass producing figures of or model kits of their characters that weren't they hadn't gotten licensing for. Yeah, I was getting pretty brazen the last time I remember going to like Chiller in the late nineties. It was it was getting pretty crazy how much stuff was out there. No, it's like every second table had a Predator model kit or an Alien model kit. So 20th Century Fox got a little fed up, I think. And, and a big box of, of, of screener copies next to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's where it, I think that's where the whole market kind of went back, like you said, to the legitimate side. And I think with McFarland releasing a lot of basically what they were were garage kits, but they were painted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for twenty bucks, I think that really, really put a, a a stick in the whole garage kit scene. Oh yeah, because instead of spending you know two hundred dollars on an unpainted, unfinished model kit, you could basically get the same thing, just a little smaller. Mm-hmm. Did you, you know, ever, mass produced? Did you ever attend one of those shows, uh, Scott? Not no, not really my bag. It was a real scene in the early 90s. It was really like, you know, you'd see a painted kit and there'd be just nothing but tables. Like, I went there for the vintage toys. Like, Sean and I would go together with another couple of friends and we'd basically coast in on fumes and sleep in hotels we dare not mention and and get get to these these shows. And I would go for the vintage toys, but the, the resin kits were just everywhere. And it was just tables of beautiful resin kits and then Ziploc bags full of parts that you, that's what you got, you know, like $7,500 and you got a big bag of resin parts. And uh, it was a huge industry for a while. Yeah. And it went from that, like you said, the old Ziploc bag, you know, with just a, a color photograph stuffed inside of what it would look like if you were good and could put it together like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people were spending a couple hundred bucks or hundred, you know, hundred and fifty, whatever. They kind of wanted some sort of packaging to go with it that made it more legitimate. So that's when they had guys that were doing really cool cover art. Because at the time, everybody liked collecting the Aurora kits, which had awesome paintings on the, you know, the box art were really well done. Mm-hmm. So guys started to kind of do that, too, to make it, yeah, it started to turn it from this underground thing into more legitimate business. So We've seen a lot of that in the Mego industry, too. It's funny how much it mirrors itself, you know. There are guys who make these great resin sculpts. And then they make uh, what, a plane? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my boss's truck. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's just going to set. Um, it's uh, you know they make uh, they make a resin head of a character and they paint one up and then another guy makes a, a box that makes it look like Mego did it in the seventies. You know, the, the, we, we, right. there's still some of that going around within the Mego community. It still kind of makes me smile and reminds me. Of the old garage kit days, 
you know, the, 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 the creativity and the independent spirits. This is still, it's still around a little bit and I enjoy that. Yeah. Cause you're trying to make it look like a, like a proper product. Well, yeah, exactly. And a lot of these guys make stuff that's better than stuff that comes out of Hasbro or Mattel. <laughs> you know, which is kind of, it's a little shaming, you know? <laughs> Um, but it, yeah, but it also keeps everybody on their toes too, because when somebody from you have no idea where they're coming from is producing this piece that looks amazing, it makes everybody step up their game. Exactly, exactly. And it it stops it from being, you know, this kind of run of the mill. Let's just churn it out, cookie cutter kind of thing. Exactly. There's more inventive ways to to do it. Yeah, and that, that you know what in the last 10 years I can say I've seen some really neat innovation even on the on the custom side of of Migos and and the little cottage industry businesses that have sprung up making really cool accessories for Migos. Um like right in front of me right now are these little Migo museums sculpted by you. <laughs> of all people. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to thank you again publicly for doing these. <laughs> we have, uh, Scott and I have, Scott, we've created a lot of gray hair on Sean's head. <laughs> oh, that comes from other things. It's okay. <laughs> but with the, uh, with the creation of the, of the Migo museum design. Yeah. I've, I've heard it's been, uh, there's been a few hiccups along the way. Yeah. Well, we're looking. We're looking at ways of improving that. So there actually will be a mini museum version two, hopefully in the fall. Um, but right now, Scott has graciously poured up uh, enough so that I can start selling waves of Super Collector when I get back from Migo Meet in uh, June. Oh, that is yeah, that is fantastic. Well, I, I actually I, I was kidding with Brian that maybe we should just redesign our playset logo to be something more like a ping pong ball. Yeah. <laughs> We just spray paint a little M on it and call it a day. With no handle. <laughs> he just throws it at people. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we could work out the bugs. It's okay. And then one of these days we can, we, we can actually just we, – we can take the, the little Mega Museum playset and, and, and blow it up into like a nice bust you can keep on your, on your shelf or something like that. Well, I've been giving them away as awards. They've been the Cubby Awards. Yeah. Yeah, well, the ones. I, 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 you know, I want the one about the size of a bowling ball, I think. That'd be cool. Cast in gold. <laughs> Cast in gold. That <laughs> uh, would weigh a little bit, you know. Uh, just a little. Yeah. You might be able to get an addition for the value of that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I know that, uh, you know, when, you, when, when all is said and done and you review your career, that um, I'm sure Brick Mantooth will be at the top of, of, of everyone's list. The very top. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, that's, I, I'm surprised at how many variations can be done with that character. What do you mean? Do you mean is yeah? I know. It's like I was saying before. Uh, Scott, it's all about the wardrobe. That's right. Sean and I are uh, working. Sean's helping me out with this project Bantooth, and it's amazing the difference a coat of paint makes to brick. Like his his face changes a little bit, and um, yeah, again, Steve's wardrobe changes and things like that. He's he's more versatile than I could have ever imagined. So. Yeah, he's like another, he's almost like a, I don't know, like an urban G.I. Joe doll. (laughs) He's like, he's kind of generic in a sense that you can use him for almost anything. Yeah, he makes a great Star Trek, um, Star Trek red shirt. (laughs) I was going to say a red shirt guy, yeah. Yeah, And of course, you saw Shazam as well. (laughs) That's right. Jackson Bostwick in him, so... Right, he's joined the he's joined the Dharma Initiative from Lost. That's right. That's he, right. Uh, impersonates as Dick Tracy. That's right. One of the customs is going to be Brick Tracy this year at Mego Me. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So well, that, thanks. That a turned lot. out that turned out really well. Then I think so. Thanks for helping us unleash that on the world. Absolutely. <laughs> well, come on, I had to. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't. An awesome character. 
<laughs> well, hopefully we can uh, do a little more with him this year and breeze his profile even further. So yeah, it's it's classic supermodel by day, superhero by night. Yeah. So, well, cool, man. Really appreciate you sitting down with us for this uh, for this interview, and we'll have to have you back again, especially when we can really? ta- talk about more things you've done. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> well, you know, there's always those monumental conventions that uh, happened in more... July. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. There's a couple a year that you know they start releasing more photos and. And you're loosening your lips a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, once the photos are out there, it's... Fair game. Yeah. So, well, maybe we'll have you back in July. How's that? Sure. Yeah. Cool. Be my pleasure. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Sean. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you Give soon. Give the time, Sean. Nice to meet you. Okay. And you too. Take care. Take care. So that was our interview with Sean Sanson. We thank Sean for coming in, and I'm 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 very uh, hopeful we can have him back again. Uh, he's he's a great guy and and, a, and a, always an interesting person to talk to. Yeah, totally. I've already thought of 14 questions I forgot to ask. Yeah, and we'll have to write them down next time. This was a little bit on the fly, but uh, what, I think what we'll have to do, or what I want to do, is actually have him in here and have my first live interview from my. Uh, little office compound here excellent so yeah next time we'll plan this one a little further i'll I'll probably see him on the weekend so that'll i'll I'll try and work out the details for a post san diego uh experience fantastic so and other than that um well so you're off to migo meet where i will be bringing my hd flip and my 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 recorder and I will try to do some live from Mego Meet experiences. Please check the Mego Museum Twitter during that time. Uh, I will be posting to the Facebook page. I will try to make it as live as possible. From what I understand, the Wi-Fi at the Kruger Street uh, Toy Museum is improved, which is good because the Wi-Fi at the Super 8 Wheeling, West Virginia, not so great. So uh, somewhere in there, you will get a lot of updates from me. <laughs> and I will try to make it as as much as being there as possible. So um, be sure to check out Mega Museum on Twitter and like us on Facebook, and you'll get all kinds of updates. Well, fantastic. Well, have a, have a wonderful time. Say hi to uh, anyone who cares. I will. And, um, and, uh, and we'll hope to talk to you uh, this weekend from Wheeling, West Virginia. I'll try, you know what? I will try to link up with you via Skype. Maybe you could uh, put it all together and, and we could have a, a Sunday recap. No, yeah. I'll, I'll look into hiring a satellite. That sounds good. Yeah, that's got to be cheap, right? Oh, I think it's practically free. Oh, they might give you money. It's the 21st century. That's right. Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the latest edition of the Mega Museum Podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in. And uh, until next time, this is Scott. And this is Brian. And we're saying collect, 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 coll